Welcome to Behavioral Health Today, a podcast brought to you by the Triad Network. This podcast is designed to share trending topics occurring within the world and our communities and bring them a behavioral and mental health perspective. Welcome to Behavioral Health Today. I'm your host, Dr. Graham Taylor, and today with me is Aaron Williams. Aaron works as the Integrated Care Consultant and Senior Advisor for the National Council of Mental Wellbeing. With his master's degree in psychology from the Catholic University of America, Aaron has more than 18 years of experience providing training and technical assistance in behavioral health services with an emphasis on substance use, treatment and prevention, workforce development, and the implementation of evidence-based practices in clinical settings. Aaron has also written and contributed to numerous articles and reports on drugs of abuse, primary care, and substance use integration mental health and primary care integration, workforce development, and the implementation of medication-assisted treatment services. Aaron, it's so nice to have you here today. Welcome to our show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me on today. It's really nice to have you here. You know, we're going to be talking today about the National Council and the systemic changes that are occurring through the work that you folks are doing. But as I mentioned in the intro, you've had a, uh, a pretty involved and kind of creative 18-year professional career. And I love our listeners to get a sense of you and your history and what brought you into this field, particularly with this focus. You know, it's, it's interesting. If I had to talk about what brought me to this field, I have to go all the way back to high school. I think I took my first psychology class in high school and I was fascinated with uh, the mind and psychology and all things behavioral health. So with that, I went to undergrad at a Morehouse College in Atlanta, and I majored in psychology again and moved forward with a master's degree, majoring in psychology also. Interestingly enough, my master's thesis is actually on schizophrenia, so something that's a bit of a departure for what I've been doing for the last 18 years, but in some ways uh, related. So as, as that moved forward, I started trying to find my place in the world in terms of work and uh, you know, really move forward with that. I found myself working for an organization that put me on a number of grant contracts related to substance use. And once I started doing that work, something just stuck uh, in terms of you know, what I was seeing, in terms of the people I was meeting, the passion that they had for the work that they were doing. Hmm. I would go to meetings and I would meet people who would stand up and tell their personal stories and would talk about 10 years ago, I was homeless or, you know, five years ago I was bankrupt, but now as I have stopped using substances or gone into recovery, I'm doing really well. And those stories really inspired, really made me think, well, if that's what's happening, if you know, these services have the power to help facilitate this kind of change. I want to be a part of it. So it it really was an evolution from there, but it was the people I met who were in recovery that really inspired me to continue to do this work. Really like that. The National Council for Mental Wellbeing, it's a 501c3 and association, and it advocates for policies that ensure that people with mental health and substance use challenges, have access to comprehensive, high-quality services. It was founded in 1969, we know, but this is not its original name, the Council for Mental Health Wellbeing. It had a different name to begin with. What was the reason it was changed, and what was it prior? You know, interestingly enough, over the years, we've had several name changes. In some ways, those name changes 
go with the field in terms of the evolution of things that yeah. you know, we're advocating for, how people see mental health services. But more recently, we were the National Council for Behavioral Health. We had that name for a while. And a couple of years ago, we went through a change in administration. We have a new CEO. Mm-hmm. I guess he's been in place for probably the last two or three years now. But as a part of that, it seemed to be a good time for us to take stock of you know, where we were, where was the field, and what we wanted to do going forward. So as a part of that, we went through a pretty extensive review with some outside consultants. And we came to the conclusion that maybe we need to think about changing our name to really more align with the work that we were doing and the work we wanted to do going forward. So after a bit of a process, we ended up landing on the name National Council for Mental Wellbeing. And over the last year and a half, we announced it, I believe it was last May when we officially changed the name. Over that time frame, we've got nothing but good feedback, positive mm-hmm. feedback. And that concept of well-being seems to fit with where we're headed. Mm-hmm. I think as you all well know, there's a lot of things that have been happening over the last couple of years. There's been really a awakening and awareness of this idea of well-being. So beyond you know, needing substance use treatment services or mental health treatment services or having some sort of diagnosable mental health disorder, yeah. we're really thinking about what are all the things that really are inputs into wellness? Yes. You know, what are those things? Loneliness, isolation, you know, you know, people's mental health status changes over time, age-related issues, people's substance use activities change over time. So how do we think about this idea of wellness more broadly. And I think it's really that's kind of a broader, more holistic kind of appreciation for all that's out there that explains mental health well-being, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's where we're headed. And I think a lot of our members have given us really positive feedback that that's, you know, where we want to go or where they, they're thinking about taking yeah. their services. So I think we're in a good place right now. I want to find out because it sounds like with that focus, there gets to be some opportunity. And I I would imagine this is where the creativity gets to kick in is for some integrative, collaborative, professionally uh, kind of synergistic opportunities for different professions. So we'll we'll kind of flag the integrative piece for just a a later moment. But get the vision and the purpose uh, of the National Council. I know it's about advocacy and working with treatment centers, but give us kind of the vision and the mission with this mental, mental well-being being the focus now. Well, what we're really trying to do very broadly is, you know, provide space in in, in the world for, you know, people to pursue all the things and activities that lead to, you know, mental well-being. So uh, a life in the community, connection, engagement, and making sure that organizations and people have the resources to pursue those things. Yeah. It's really good. I know uh, you guys do a lot of advocacy. We'll talk about that in a little bit as well. But I know you guys work with about 3,500 mental health and substance use treatment organizations and more than 10 million children, adults, and families that you guys get to serve. That, that's significant. And I know part of that work is about trying to promote really a greater understanding of what mental health well-being is. Sometimes we don't know what we don't know, but we're affected by those things nonetheless. And so it sounds like this awareness you bring, this understanding you bring, is really a core component. I also know that you are kind of one of those guys that get out there. You want to see these things firsthand. And through your travels, 
to different centers, you're seeing firsthand what these centers are doing at work and within their communities, maybe even geographically. Share with us as you go out there and you see these things and the assessments that you're making, what are the challenges that you're determining folks being in need of and what, what, what's going on? You know, it's interesting. So, so I think as you, as you stated, you know, very well, we are an advocacy organization, a membership advocacy organization. So we do all of those pieces in terms of, you know, advocacy on Capitol Hill, looking for resources for our members and others that are part of behavioral health field, mental health and substance use field more broadly. But we also have a very large public education component and a technical assistant component, which I've worked on for most of the time I've been here, which is about you know, nine to 10 years now. And through that, I've got a chance to travel to a number of the states, pretty much all of them, and exactly. talk with people on the ground in programs. And, and that's been really rewarding work. You get to see what folks are doing on the ground. And, and certainly there are lots of challenges, depending on where they are, location matters, certainly you know, people in, in very rural areas have a different subset of challenges in terms of staffing, in terms of yes. resource availability, and how they really can get people into services if they live in remote parts of the area. You know, you have urban centers who are, you know, have less of that issue, but still some, you know, people who have issues with transportation, you know, they have to think about these broader social determinants like poverty, racism, other things that may be impacting their health, their well-being, and even service delivery. So the challenges are are wide, but I certainly think there are a lot of amazing providers out there who are really doing significant work to make sure that people have the potential and the ability to really engage with the world. Yeah, when you see these needs out there and you're kind of assessing them the way you are and you see these people kind of in the trenches providing these really good services with a really good heart, Weave in what your role as an integrated care consultant and senior advisor actually looks like as you're coming in these communities and assessing their needs and the services they could be benefiting from. What are you doing specifically? So, so it really depends. Uh, a lot of our work is very individualized, depending. We may have a grant or contract vehicle that sends us out to do a specific thing. But ultimately, it, what we have is typically a provider who is trying to implement something, maybe a new evidence-based practice, mm-hmm. a new service delivery model, or trying to understand you know, something else about a particular policy that's coming down from the state or the federal government. And very often our role would be to go out and sit down and talk with that provider and all the principals and help them work through you know, what may be some of the internal challenges to implementing that particular yes. practice. You know, very often it could be a resource issue. Sometimes it's, you know, issues in terms of the team and, you know, how they see a particular challenge and what to do about it. And they have to, you know, resolve that within themselves before they can move forward. So it really depends. But a lot of it is going in and sitting down with providers and talking through what may be the issue, the concerns, you know, looking at challenges and in some ways offering them you know, our perspective and our perspective is born out of having gone to all these other places to see how other organizations are doing this or, you know, you know, what the policy may be at a, at a, at a broad level and just helping them think through what some of those pieces are. Very often that might be some sort of consultation on site or training on site. Certainly in the 
pandemic era, we do a lot of that virtually now. Yeah. Uh, so, so not quite as hands-on, but all but still very effective. But that's part of what it is, really sitting down with them, understanding those challenges and offering our, our knowledge and expertise to help them work through. Really good. Give me a handful of folks you might go out to, for example, this type of a center and or maybe who contacts you to pursue an understanding of your services that you can benefit them with. So, so I can give you an example of, of some of the work that we've done. Great. You know, one example would be you know, we got a call probably about a year and a half ago from a large uh, substance use treatment provider uh, in the, uh, on the West Coast. Okay. And they wanted to further implement recovery support services. Okay. So part of what I would do with them would be sit down and talk to them about what's going on. You know, why are they looking to do this? You know, what have they seen in some of the challenges? And then think about what elements I might craft for them in order to help them move forward. Uh, part of that might involve a training. You know, the other part of that might involve some survey of staff to see where they are in terms of their uh, readiness to implement something like this. And then following up potentially with some of the uh, organization's administrators to gotcha. see about if there are any policy changes or anything they need to do to help, you know, embed this in their work. So a lot of that, I guess what we would call technical assistance you know, yes. for those agencies. You and I were talking earlier this week. In fact, I gave you a call and you were actually involved in a webinar when I had called. And uh, so probably an example of some of the things you're talking about right now. But we had also mentioned in our conversation that um, we both really believe that the future of well-being, which is kind of a larger catchment of our well-being, not just mental health, but other aspects of what contributes to an overall well-being in general, going to include more and more the integration of mental health and primary care treatments. Talk about some of your work maybe in this integrative process here that I believe is going to be the future, a necessary future, and a really beneficial future in, in, in that holistic understanding of what well-being can really be. Oh, definitely. So I, I think, you know, I've been working on these kinds of issues for probably the last eight years now at the organization. So there was some, some data that came out some years ago People with mental health disorders died about 25 years uh, earlier than the general population. But most of that was actually not due to the mental illness. It was due to other related health conditions. Mm. So, you know, while certainly, you know, that work has gone on, you know, there is lots of evidence that suggests that particularly folks with substance use disorders, you know, very often uh, I've talked to counselors across the country who give a very common refrain, which is that, you know, we are keeping them, you know, drug and alcohol free so they can die of lung cancer 20 years. Right, exactly. Yes. So, you know, so, so all of these sorts of conversations really, I think, have been happening for years across the, the, the field. And there was a real realization that, hey, people with mental health and substance use disorders, you know, have a very difficult uh, time accessing primary care services. Yeah. And often don't do as well for a number of different reasons. And certainly there has been a sea change, I think, in the field, really recognizing that and looking at how you can offer these services, you know, um, in a coordinated, you know, integrated way. You know, certainly if you look at it from the other perspective, um, when you go into primary care, there are 
know, tons of primary care providers who also know that uh, their uh, patients have uh, uh, mental health challenges or substance use challenges. And they really struggled with having the resources to address those things. Yeah. You know, many primary care providers knew that a lot of the gastro um, intestinal issues that a, that a patient may have were actually coming from some sort of alcohol use disorder. Yeah. So what do you do about that? What services do I provide? You know, where are the clinicians? Where do I go? Yeah. So, so integrated care offers an opportunity on both sides to really begin to address these things in a holistic way. And I think it's something that the field has really begun to embrace. And I certainly um, have uh, tried to do my part to be a champion. We'll be right back after word from our sponsor. Are you preparing for a licensure exam in psychology, social work, marriage and family therapy, counseling, or behavioral analysis? AATBS is here to help. We have been supporting behavioral and mental health students to prepare for their licensure exams for more than 45 years. Working with over 1 million students to succeed on test day and move on to the next step in their career. With products ranging from comprehensive courses to quiz banks and delivered live online, self-study online, and in print, AATBS has test prep solutions that meet every student's needs and learning styles. Visit us today at aatbs.com. That's aatbs.com. And use promo code BHT15 to save 15% off your next purchase. Yeah, I think that's very good time well spent. I think being able to kind of have it from that, again, that holistic perspective. So someone gets all of their needs addressed. Let's, uh, let's expand it a wee bit more. Let's talk about well-being having to do with those things we've talked about thus far, but also with the racial component around equity and equality. Bring that piece in here for us and how that's being assessed by you and the National Council. Well, you know, I, I think particularly the last two years, but certainly there's been a lot of work done in, on this in the past, but particularly the last two years, people have begun to really pay more attention to these issues of racial and ethnic disparities in healthcare. You know, looking at the fact that, you know, there's no doubt there's lots of data and scholarship about this, that people of color and people from diverse backgrounds often have issues in terms of access to services, as well as negative, very different outcomes when they actually do receive services, typically based on race. When you look at data that talks about in psychiatry, you have people of color that are diagnosed with certain mental health disorders at three times or four times the rates of whites. Mm-hmm. You have people of color more likely to receive a particular kind of diagnosis, a particular kind of service, despite presenting the same symptoms as their white counterparts who don't mm-hmm. receive the same diagnosis. So all of these things are evident across the uh, healthcare spectrum. Um, there are also lots of issues in terms of access to services, looking at you know, rural areas that don't have access to primary health services or you know, mental health and substance use services. And then also thinking about you know, some issues with in terms of hospital care and other things. You know, one of the adages that you know, a lot of people from diverse backgrounds think about is the idea that you know, Blacks take off the entire day to go to a doctor's appointment that whites only have to take off lunchtime for. So when you think about that, very often people of color have to travel further to receive the same services. Yes. Um, it, it puts more of a burden on them in terms of, you know, getting to a particular service. Yes. 
And in some communities, very often you have what seems to be on paper good access to services, but very often the providers that are closest to people of color may not be serving people of color in a way that makes sense, or those providers have you know, pretty negative reputations within um, those communities. So they have to go somewhere else actually to receive the services, despite on paper it looking like they have you know, really good access. You know, everybody in the community knows not to go to that place unless it's a true emergency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As we're talking about these needs and the opportunities for integrative services, the awareness around the ethnic and racial disparities in, in healthcare, I'd like to discuss some of the programs that you all are offering the National Council. I know, again, it offers state-of-the-art science education and practice improvement consulting, like you're describing here to us along with resources to help ensure that these services that are delivered are going to be efficient, are going to be effective. And I know you guys do this through a number of really, really cool offerings. I'm going to maybe kind of name some of these, and you can maybe kind of cherry pick which ones you might want to add on just a little bit. Let me name them. You guys have a Mental Health First Aid USA, really cool program. You have Advocacy Up on Capitol Hill. You guys have the National Conference, the National Council webinars. Maybe one of the things you were doing the other day when I called, you've got a great journal. Yeah, the Center for Excellence, Integrated Health Solutions, and Consulting Services. Pick one or two of those for me, if you would, Aaron, and just kind of expand upon it. Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I guess if I had to, to pick, certainly, yeah, I, I think a hallmark of what we do are advocacy efforts. Yeah, um, certainly that, that's a big reason why we have between 3,500 and 4,000 member organizations because of that work. And, you know, certainly beyond that, we have our mental health first aid program, which is really our biggest public education program, helping people recognize signs and symptoms of um, mental health or substance use challenges and how to you know, intervene. This is really something designed for laypersons, so not necessarily people who are providing therapy or therapeutic sessions, but really lay people. So we've actually trained police officers, we've trained hotel staff, you know, people in, in large companies you know, how to recognize when somebody's having a challenge and you know, how to intervene in ways that make sense for that person in, in, in the short term. And that's one of our, our, our big sort of pieces of public education. You know, the other thing I would say that we really take pride in and which is coming up is our National Council Conference. So yes. we call it NatCon. It's coming up in April. I would encourage people to, they haven't registered to register for that. Who would be a good so, registrant for that? So, so really, we, we think of that conference as healthcare's behavioral health conference, essentially. So anyone interested in behavioral health services who may be in the broad healthcare space um, would be a good registrant. A lot of our activities cater to people who are administrators of certain organizations and programs, but I think we have a lot of offerings for others who are interested in the space as well. So we have IT vendors there, hospital associations there, CEOs and administrators of uh, organizations there, uh, and also just regular staff who are looking for evidence-based practices to implement. So I think it's a pretty wide variety of folks there, but it's the first time we'll be back in person in two years. So so we're really looking forward to that. That sounds like a great entry portal to all that you guys provide as well as maybe being able to collaborate with other professionals doing similar things or maybe even new areas of interest. That's really good. Tell me about, with all the work you guys do, what are some of the successes 
that you're seeing your programs provide people and lives that are getting changed? Give me some stories. I will highlight two of our successes. One is I think, you know, the amazing work again of our mental health first aid program. And we have, you know, been servicing, you know, hundreds of thousands of people in terms of getting them trained in mental health first aid. And it is you know, growing by leaps and bounds all the time. You know, the other I would say is, you know, from a policy point of view is been our advocacy for CCBHCs or certified behavioral health clinics. And CCBHCs really are are moving forward in terms of, I think, more than three or 400 CCBHCs across the country. SAMHSA has funded sort of a grant program that funds them. And CCBHCs are really essentially behavioral health organizations that have upgraded sort of service models that are really providing holistic, comprehensive care around a number of different issues of concern. And they're doing that in a way that really allows them to meet the needs uh, of individuals in ways they couldn't. They're being funded to provide services, care coordination, other things that under existing funding models, they really couldn't do. So allows them more flexibility, more ability to engage with people around unique needs like yeah. you know, housing, use of medications for addiction treatment, trauma-informed services, you know, and um, you know, doing health screens. So significant ways in which they can expand their services, and that's happening more and more across the country where states are looking at this model, and SAMHSA has been very important in terms of funding grantees who are doing this work as well. That is really comprehensive, isn't it? I mean, that, that is quite an outreach. Over the last three to five years, something that the National Council is heavily invested in and our members are, you know, see as being, you know, really important. And I think, you know, over time, you know, data is showing that organizations that become CCBHCs, you know, are expanding their ability to provide services. One of the things we know is that organizations who become CCBHCs they don't have a psychiatrist, they hire a psychiatrist. They don't have a peer support specialist, they hire a peer support specialist. So they really engage in really different ways to meet the needs of, the, of, of their clients. That's really good. We're kind of coming into the home stretch here, and I want to talk about resources in a moment, but tell me what you're most proud of in your work with the National Council. I'm proud of a lot of things <laughs> in this way. It's a, it has been a great nine or 10 years for me, you know, personally and professionally. But I'm really proud of, you know, in lots of ways, my colleagues, the dedication and commitment that they have to ensuring that we as a society appropriately address mental health and substance use for for all people, you know, getting the word out, the advocacy, the public education. I work with people who are passionate about this every day and who are, are trying to, you know, reach vulnerable populations and do what yes. we can to, to assist. Mental health you know, is health. Yes. So thinking about that is something that, that drives me and that you know, I'm very passionate about. And I'm just happy to be working with other like-minded people in this space. That's a life well spent and that's worth getting up in the morning for, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely it is. Aaron, give us some resources about how we can learn more about the National Council and any of the resources you think might be helpful for our listeners to follow up in after this show? So, you know, it's interesting. Well, one, I would just say that, you know, one is to check our website out, www.nationalcouncil.org. 
We have that as a resource. We have our consulting line. So if you're looking for some your more focused technical assistance, that's there. Mm-hmm. You know, the other thing I would say is just some public resources for people to take a look at. Please. You know, SAMHSA, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, for, for years now has, you know, funded something called the Addiction Technology Transfer Centers, or ATTCs. And those are really centers that are devoted to in, in improving the workforce. So they have a wide array of resources for people who are working in the field of mental health and substance use to do their jobs more effectively, learning about evidence-based practices, other things that they may need. So that's one thing I, I would recommend. Wonderful. The other two I would recommend are, there's a public resource called the Provider Clinical Support, PCSS. It's pcssnow.org. And that resource is for anyone that's thinking about providing opioid use disorder services or particularly medications for addiction treatment. That resource is there. I mean, it's publicly funded, so they have free webinars and other things, you know, there that people can go to. It's a really great resource if you're thinking about how you can better provide services for people with opioid use disorder. You may have seen there's been a lot of conversation across the board in the president's State of the Union speech. He talks about your more effective services for opioid use disorder, harm reduction services. Unfortunately, in the last calendar year, I think the data indicates we have more than a hundred plus thousand drug overdose deaths. A lot of that's fueled by synthetic opioid use. But a hundred a day on the opiate side. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and, yeah, it's, it's really tragic. I think, you know, it's been a lot of work that people have been putting in to try to use and ramp up the use of evidence-based practices, but there's still a lot that needs to be done. So, you know, hopefully, you know, the trend of putting more resources into that continues, but, but those are some resources that really can help if you're thinking about that. Yeah. You know, there's also something called the ORN, which is the Opioid Response Network. This is another large grant program that provides TA, particularly around opiate use disorder and stimulants, because we've seen, again, a lot of increase in stimulant use as well. Those are great. I really appreciate those resources. And I think they're going to be a great thing for our listeners to be able to kind of follow up and pursue. Well, Aaron, it's been great to have you with us. So appreciate all you're doing and what you're contributing to our understanding today. And uh, really appreciate you being with us. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Anytime. I appreciate you guys having me on. I want to thank you, our listeners, for joining Aaron and me today. It's always great to have you with us. Regarding our episode today, I want to remind you that it and its resources and all of our other episodes can be found on our webpage at triadhq.com bht. So check out our webpage, triadhq.com bht, and explore our archive of podcasts and other resource materials. Thanks again for being with us on the show, and we'll look forward to having you back with us next time on Behavior Health Today. We appreciate all the support from our community, and if you like our show, one of the best ways you can support it is by giving us a five-star rating and leaving a review. Behavioral Health Today is a podcast part of the Tribe Network, all rights reserved.